0: So the theme tonight is learning from fear. I'd like to explore this emotional state this evening as quite a number of you have acknowledged in your own practice, hidden form or quite open form actually, the presence of um, this emotion. It may be due to the elements outside. There's no doubt there's a certain sense of unsettledness out there. But in any case, fear is so prevalent in the world. And it may be that at times it feels quite present in our own lives. Also in practice, there's no doubt that when there's a a deepening of our own connection with the present moment there's going to be the arising quality of this emotion. Now, there's no doubt that sometimes there's a clear sense of um, denial. And uh, this may be conscious or unconscious, actually. We don't like to face the vulnerability that is present in our bodies, in our minds, the vulnerability of our relationship and our life situation when this manifests. So the habitual tendency, at least for myself, for quite a long time was to try to find ways, strategies, to stay away, stay away from fear. And the other way that this manifests is to want to be in control. The sense of control, to feel secure, to feel safe, may be present, yet it has quite a high cost. And we may see this manifest in relationship to our practice. Because the problem is that if we cut ourselves from a part of what is showing, then there is going to be a sense of separation. And this may be a cause for great pain. In fact, pain, difficult emotions, the unknown, impermanence, loss, separation from what is dear to us, we know is part of our life. And so long as there is the fear of these things without acknowledging that it is so, we stay very far apart. And this fragmentation is a cause for greater suffering. That feeling of separation we begin to realize causes greater pain. Now there are many different forms of fear. and In fact, the Buddha actually spoke of two types of healthy fear, so there's no doubt that it's really uh, helpful to know what is present. He called these two types of fear the guardians of the world, and I would like to mention them here because they're quite important and supportive qualities indeed may be at times missing nowadays. It has to do with a sense of morality, a sense of ethics. They're named in Pali Hiri and Otapa. The first one is translated, lack of better words, as moral shame. And Otapa is the fear of wrongdoing. Now, living together, no doubt with social connection, even in this wonderful silent sanctuary, there's no doubt that there's social connection. We're part of a community. And we engage and commit in not causing harm to each other. This is, you can say, a sense of respect for our own well-being and a respect for other beings as well. Now we can have a sense that there may be a healthy fear in relationship to not wanting to hurt ourselves or others. They're also said to be forms of protection because they protect the mind from harm. A very simple example is not taking another person's belongings. If you've got tape on a cup, you know it belongs to someone. I did this in this very space out of a a moment of confusion. And I really lived up to the consequences. It was no drama, yet it really created a little bit of a kerfuffle, one can say. So uh, care care, and no doubt that when we take these precepts to heart, they're seen as forms of protections. We just have a greater sense of knowing the disturbances that may be caused from that type of action. So here, we have a wonderful space to be able to notice exactly what is manifesting for us in terms of safety, of calm, of seeing very closely to heart the aspect of fear which may come from a wholesome space within ourself and maybe the fears that are not so helpful or healthy, one can say. Now, there's another type of healthy fear, which is definitely an energy uh, mind state that is manifesting in the presence of an actual danger. It's a signal. There is a possibility of knowing that one needs to act. Just the other day before coming here, in Geneva, I went downtown, did a little bit of shopping for things I needed. And clearly, I perceived a danger. And the, the, the signal came from the body, actually. There was a little boy crossing the whole road. He had headphones on, and he had a skater, and he was definitely not mindful. <laughs> and he was about to cross the road, and uh, a bus was coming quite fast. and Um, in me was an urge well up and I jumped over to do, to act and prevent him from being hurt there's no doubt that he was in a state of shock (laughs) so was I after just a single moment of acting well the aftershock came and the bus really did a move It almost touched a car, but anyway, (laughs) I just didn't stay there noticing fear or even noting fear, fear, (laughs) which may be something that we have the tendency to do as meditators, (laughs) calmly (laughs) being present. (laughs) So there are moments when action is needed, and there's no doubt that that signal is one which we need uh, to see as an indicator, as a clear indicator, at times, um, in relationship to real danger. The response is wise, a wise response that comes from within. But a lot of the times, there are forms of fear that are not based in the actuality, and um, often based in aversion or greed that we guard against, and we can name quite a few. There's no doubt the fear of losing our youth. For some of us, we can see everything that's done in this world to stay, at least in appearance, young, And no matter how much we try to protect ourselves from this, there's bound to be an aging process, just to take this example. One day, we will be separated from youth, wherever you place that day. (laughs) There's a sense of uh, great understanding in relationship to being able to really sense what is manifesting within We, of course, fear change. And the other night, I talked about impermanence, the unknown, everything that manifests that we have no idea what the next moment is going to offer. And of course, eventually, we also fear death. In our culture, there's a clear denial. It's such a mystery to not be able to have this be out in the open that it makes it appear quite unreal. And it's not until we have a close relationship, maybe ourselves, some kind of reality check which puts us in the face of death, and makes us realize, oh, yes, this is the end of life. There's birth. There's going to be death. For me, about 15 years ago, I had a cancer. And it was incredibly humbling to be able to be facing this illness And to look at what was happening in relationship to the body, of course, but most of all, the mind. What was the mind making of this reality? And I'm not going to say that there wasn't fear. That would be a lie. But I reflected. Thank goodness I had the teachings. The Dharma was already part of my life. And... For quite some years, and therefore I was reminded of the teachings of the Buddha about reflecting on death, that being a practice which also I mentioned the other night, and imagining myself in that very situation. And it was extraordinary. It gave such a sense of strength, vividness, alertness. Even though the body was very weak, the mind was able to have this quality. When this will come, it will not be a state of fear that I'm going to be in. Therefore, let me look at it now. This is an opportunity, practicing in a way that I could begin to be in the presence of what was. Not inventing, but just not denying. And therefore, there are moments when we have the opportunity for a depth of practice. And if there is the motivation, of course, there was a great sense of motivation then. What we may call spiritual urgency was definitely present these moments when life matters so much. And yet, the need to learn, and this is where we learn from fear, to be able to be with it without a sense of fueling the fear, which means when we get lost in the fear. And the practice is, I think, in this respect, all about that. And it takes practice. It takes a great sense of courage, of heart, delicacy, intimacy of connection, and also to know when one needs to step back. We may also fear the future, not even if we have a sense of death being at the end, Just this way that we have planning be part of our daily activity, how much we plan for the next moment, reassuring ourselves about the future. Here again, there's certainly a sense of control over our lives. Now, if we are going to plan, we're going to know. And this is, of course, happening in imagination. Yet it brings a sense of relationship which doesn't quite acknowledge this very moment. And I know that for myself, because I travel a lot, there's a lot of planning in relationship to travel. And we all travel these days. And you do need to make some plans when you travel, no doubt, even (laughs) short distance from your work (laughs) to your home, for example. But how much is going on in ourselves that is added so that there's a real sense that we are in control and therefore we're going to make this journey be a perfect journey. And if we look really quite closely. And I've seen this again coming here. There was, of course, some fog. And so the plane didn't leave on time. And (laughs) the planning was gone. There was the plan and there was the reality. Imagining that causes and conditions are the base for living from a space of greater reality. And fear plays out in so many forms. We have our own. There's no doubt. And in many ways we can also feel the degree of fear that can be just so subtle at times. That sense of unpleasant energy in the body. Just a sense of little dissatisfaction to leading to an intensifying contraction, to an elevation of the level of tension, heartbeats, a full range of anxiety that may come up, depending on what happens, on what we are imagining or what is present in our life. So there's going to be a full range of this type of experience. And it may be helpful to already acknowledge when the level of energy is tiny, that we begin to really relate to that and not leave it unnoticed. Now, it's said that fear is an inward manifestation of aversion, the second of these three root causes for suffering, as you know, greed, Aversion, delusion, that constitute in some way the root of suffering. It's an inner manifestation. The outer form is, of course, aggressivity, anger. It strikes out. This inner form is more withdrawn, it's kind of a paralysis. A contraction. And often we feel that the body is contracted. There can be body tension. And we just say, oh, there's a sensation where there's tension. It may be that uh, an emotion is present in relationship to what is happening. And so there's rigidity. And the tension, if it's not noticed, is, may be heightened. So we can really learn to acknowledge if fear is present. And we begin to meet it with a connection where, in the best way possible, it's not too big. That we're not blown away. It's a gift to ourselves. Rilke says, what is required of us is that we love the difficult and we learn from it. So no doubt, fear, I think, is a difficult energy to love, at least. It has been for me. Now the source of our difficulty with fear is tied up with two deeply conditioned patterns and response that we have to fear. One is the aversion to it, and the other is the identification. In a sutra, the Buddha, before his enlightenment, speaks about his encounter with fear. And it's quite important to think and to realize that it's not that we're special when fear arises. It's a human (laughs) emotional condition. So this is just to exemplify that the reality of the bodhisattva, the Buddha-to-be, was also one of being in the presence of fear. This is a few lines from the sutra. How would it be if in the dark of the month with no moon I were to enter the most strange and frightening place near tombs in the thick of the forest that I might come to understand fear? And doing so, a wild animal would approach or the wind rustle the leaves and I would think Perhaps the fear now comes, and being resolved to dispel the hold of that fear, I remained in whatever posture it arose, sitting or standing, walking or lying down. I did not change until I had faced that fear in that very posture, until I was free of its hold upon me, and having this thought I did so. By facing the fear, I became free." So this is the great meeting. (laughs) Now it's a process. It's important to really understand that there's a whole process to this. What fears do we encounter most specifically here on retreat? Well, the first that's pretty obvious is the fear of body pain. Then, of course, there's the fear of certain emotional states. And we can also have a clear sense of the fear of fear, which is not uncommon. And then there's the fear of the impermanent nature of all phenomena, afraid of change, afraid of the unknown. And there's also the fear of this ego dissolution, or the sense of self. With body pain, there's no doubt that some sits are unpleasant. There's aches. And there's an anticipation that it's going to get worse. So fear comes up. Quite helpful to notice the thought, which comes as an anticipation. It's difficult to stay with the pain. Is fear in the picture? Just noticing. Of course, there's an aversion to pain. There's a withdrawing, not wanting to feel the suffering or the pain. Therefore, there may be also a fear that come. And often there's a sense, at least for me, at times when we really look closely, a sense of (laughs) failure and embarrassment that are present with this kind of relationship. It feels unbearable, but even here... Standing within the fear can result in a huge sense of growth. And the embarrassment or the sense or feeling of failure need not sway us. So, all these different kinds of fear, of course, the sense of the dissolution of the self becomes the greatest fear as our growth deepens in practice. It's really interesting to see how this manifests. There's a holding on to the sense of uniqueness, of personal identity, of me, the I from which the world is known. The sense of me can be very strong. And therefore, the fear can appear in relationship to letting go, just to allow. Now each of our levels of growth, you know, has its own kind of areas or collections of fears. There are many of them. So we include them as we move along in the best way that we can. What happens, and as you are all meditators, what happens is that we have taste of what that feels like. And we may become interested in moving in the direction of fear rather than running away from it. Because we sense that there is a withdrawing. And that withdrawing isn't the way to freedom. We sense this, even if it's not conscious. Now, the sense of I doesn't like to admit that there's fear. <laughs> it, the thought often is a strong hold. I'm strong and I can handle this. That's what the I says. (laughs) I know better. (laughs) But when we are practicing, we can sense the false kind of sense of protection or holding on that the storyline is creating, becoming tough, and therefore creating even a greater sense of tension. Tension in the mind, tension in the body. And we sense this. We live this. This is why this situation is so extraordinary. We run away, but there's a moment when we're going to be back and we're going to be really feeling that getting it to be safe is a greater challenge than meeting what is happening. So very slowly, with a lot of care, there's a taming that is happening. And it's part of the path. In this journey of opening, what happens is that we come to the boundaries. I think to the edge, and so often, it's so interesting, to be seeing what are we willing to be with, the comfort zone. And then there's a point where it's absolutely no longer comfortable <laughs> and we can sense these edges. We can really sense the, the boundary. It's okay and suddenly it's not okay at all. And something is being revealed right at that, meeting place. This is where we begin to work maybe with the fear. And it's an essential part of the practice. We begin to see very clearly what is limiting us. And going beyond the limit, what does that mean? Just being able to see the fear or to meet the fear, to feel it in the body, getting close, being in the presence of the nature of fear without any addition. It's part of the path. There's no doubt that everything, as I said the other morning, And that one yogi reminded me is everything is part of the path. Nothing left out. So what we are inclining towards is this sense of openness, which is just the willingness to be with what is. Nothing needs to be created. We don't need other conditions. We just need the willingness. And that, of course, takes a journey, the willingness to open rather than shut down. And in fact, I've seen that a lot of the process of opening is being aware and present to the shutting down, to the closing off, to the holding back. So it starts here. How we are being intimidated and seeing that we are intimidated, embarrassed, there's a sense that a no, a clear no. And then from that no, we begin to release the tension that may be present. How we actually do that has to do with coming up against the edge. This is where the learning is happening. What does openness and receptivity mean? For each one of us, it will mean something different at different times. And I'll give some examples in a few moments. Pema Chodron has a nice image about this. She says, there's a story about a group of people climbing to the top of a mountain. It turns out it's pretty steep, and as soon as they get up to a certain height, a couple of people look down and see how far it is, and completely freeze. They had come up against their edge, and they couldn't go beyond it. Their fear was so great, they couldn't move. Other people tripped on ahead, laughing and talking, but as the climb got steeper and more scary, more people began to get scared and freeze. All the way up this mountain there were places where people met their edge and just froze and couldn't go any further The moral of the story is that it really doesn't make any difference where you meet your edge Just meeting it is the point Life is a whole journey of meeting your edge again and again That's where your challenge that's where If you're a person who wants to live, you start to ask yourself questions like, Now, why am I so scared? What is it that I don't want to see? Why can't I go any further than this? The happy people who got to the top were not the heroes of the day. They just weren't afraid of heights. They are going to meet their edge somewhere else. The ones who froze at the bottom were not the losers. They simply stopped first, and so their lesson came earlier than the others. However, sooner or later, everybody meets his or her own edge. So the energy of fear expresses itself in so many ways through the body. And that connection with body in this particular practice is so helpful, because from these subtle sensations that often go so unnoticed, we can distinct sensation from sensation with emotion, emotion that is contracted, tightness, constriction in the chest, stomach, face, throat, whatever there's a manifestation of the unpleasantness, physical sensation, but along with the unpleasant mental state. And therefore, thoughts of vulnerability or powerlessness, feeling of separation, may come up. This is where there may be an edge, a sense of reactivity, So much aversion may appear in relationship to fear. The fear of the fear. How does our aversion manifest? Often, condemnation, judgment, the avoiding, the denial, the embarrassment, the shame. They come up as a reaction and as a way to limit us what happens this is when this is happening is that often it intensifies the fear so there's reactivity and identification when this happens With the condemnation, with the judgment, there's a strong tendency to personalize it. It's becoming very personal, and therefore there's an added self-judgment. And this is what I named the selfing, or the ego. The sense of self, that notion of me or I, is not far from that experience of fear when it conditions the holding. It's not just a passing emotion when these mind states are added. They often are recognized through thoughts. The thoughts are enabling us to really sense what is threatening strengthens aversion, and makes the experience of fear even more threatening. So it's a whole complex situation of body awareness, but also a relationship with the thoughts that manifest. What happens is that when we judge the fear as a bad experience, not an unpleasant one, a bad experience. We often judge ourselves as being bad for having that experience. And this needs to be seen. It really is important, because this is exactly where the edge is being reinforced and the sense of identification that I talked about earlier. is strong. It's the holding. And it prevents us from recognizing the true nature of that emotion. Now, this is, of course, part of the process. So it's not about not judging. It's not about not being shameful. It's about really being aware of that which is manifesting in relationship to what is happening, and we know this. But it's so easy to be caught. The inability to see fear as an impersonal conditioned response that creates suffering... prevents us from growth. So this is why it's so helpful to be able to recognize the identification with fear. And just to see it. Oh, this is my fear. This is who I am. I'm a fearful person. I'm always in fear when this happens. And there's no doubt that that sense of putting an I, a me, a mine to that clear, impersonal, and also impermanent nature, like everything else, impermanent nature of that emotion, It's not met. So there's a challenge in working with fear. We soften the habitual reaction. And it's by meeting that habitual reaction that we will engage and not be tripped by the thoughts that come up. Alan Watts says, this, this, the art of listening is neither careless drifting on the one hand, nor fearful clinging on the other. It consists in being sensitive to each moment, in regarding it as utterly new and unique, in having the mind open and wholly receptive. So this moment, unique, fresh, how can it be? Well, we have this extraordinary capacity of awareness. Awareness or mindfulness, meeting the moment as it is, being sensitive. It helps us not get blocked and freeze and refuse the fear and the fear leading to the unknown if our edge is often like a huge stone wall, for me it's that image that is really palpable, a huge stone wall with a door in it, how do we learn to open the door and step through it? How do we learn that? By just staying, staying completely present, the door will open itself. It's the process of sensitivity that Alan is talking about. Flexibility instead of rigidity. That's what is happening. Fluidity instead of contraction. We get acquainted right there. And so the practice helps us settle the heart and balance the mind. Now, there are many ways that we can work with this. Connecting with the anchor. And I feel that is why the anchor may be so helpful at times. If we don't have one, it helps regain balance. Because an anchor is something which is usually quite safe... It's neutral. It doesn't have any sense of risk. And therefore, rather than getting lost in the energy of fear when it manifests, which is, of course, the tendency, we are aware that there's a place, a sense of connection that we can refer to. And often, body anchor is definitely the best use to be able to steady. Steady first, and then gently welcome whatever it is. Now it may be that if the anchor is in the chest or in the abdomen, these are the places I've seen for myself where we hold maybe these emotional states. So often one can say, but. It's not really an anchor in those moments. So this is why there are times when maybe it's helpful to see if we can find touch points that are not in the realm of tension or contraction. And what are they? Often the contact with the feet, the toes, or the hands are extremely helpful. Because these are areas that are the extremities of our body. And therefore, there's not a lot of holding in these areas. And whether experiencing fear on the cushion here or as we're walking. And even the other day, I was going home at night and there was uh, a man... (laughs) that was just behind me. And it felt, I have no idea, I was kind of going so fast that I didn't know if it felt to me that there was something not quite right and that he was following. And I said, oh, I sensed the fear. And it was so wonderful to have these touch points of body anchor, feet and hand. As I was walking, it helped immensely to be able to have that reference and that anchor. So, of course, we get acquainted with this type of relationship. It doesn't come immediately when we're in a situation like the one I just described. But when we are drawn here in a balanced way and sustained way, as we're doing practice, it is a reference point that becomes a true friend steadiness of attention that balances the reactivity, and that allows that we stay present, that we allow ourselves to open to this rather than the immediacy of disconnect, which often is what is happening. We so often leave our bodies behind when fear is manifesting. And yet um, it's not so helpful. So we don't run away and we find ways that we can allow ourselves to be receptive, sensitive. What's going on here? What's helpful? And for each one of us, of course, there's a need to find ways that we're supported Another aspect, which no doubt has been so helpful for me and other beings, is the appropriate use of metta, loving kindness. And there's no doubt that the Buddha, in relationship to fear, gave a very compassionate response to the monks and nuns that were in the forest where there was uh, the presence of fear, and he gave them the loving-kindness meditation to strengthen their ability to meet the experience. So metta also encourages us to stay because it dissolves the sense of separation. That loving-kindness nurtures connection. And it's soothing. So in relationship to fear, there's no doubt that we may adapt a word or two that is in link with the situation. May I gently open to this one phrase. And this does not mean often we think, oh, I'm shifting to metta practice. Not at all. It may be just have that quality of this ingredient, which is helpful just to be able to open and soften the heart. Or may I be at peace. Or may I meet this fear with kindness. Whatever word of support may be helpful to you, we nurture that calm, sensitive presence. So there are many ways that we can find a sense of refuge. And it's not about escaping or avoiding the unpleasantness of fear, but instead finding a greater spaciousness. And this is exactly what is happening. We grow in presence, and the spaciousness is just appearing. Why? Less contraction, less identification. So there's a certain degree of calm and steadiness. And we all know this. Rather than going into spinning wheels or proliferation of thoughts, there's a possibility of investigation, appropriate investigation, a place of rest. And therefore, a little more serenity and calm in the face of fear. Just less reactivity. And we can notice the shift. The shift, the ability to be so much more willing to stay. In that rapport, in that relationship, there's a cultivation of wisdom. Mindfulness reveals then the arising and the passing away of that mind state as any other mind state. And it begins with a moment-to-moment awareness. We understand the cycle. In one of my very first retreats, with Sida Upandita in Nepal, there was a moment where there was a change of perceptions being so present, seeing kind of through the eyes of impermanence, the floor was kind of slipping under <laughs> my feet. And, you know, we sense that at times. Ah, just the loss of this notion of I am a walker. But there was definitely walking happening without just a any reference of me doing the walking. This happens, right? Just one moment. And the next moment was just so impressive because I was fairly new. And there was really a huge wave of fear that came up. And it was very late at night. And in despair, I wanted to see Sayado to really have a sense of, refuge. And of course, he was the teacher. And his attendant didn't allow me in. It was very late at night. But Sayedul was not far away, thank goodness. And uh, he said, let her in. And I was crying. Um, There was a huge opening, but I was crying. And I was trying to explain. The attendant was translating what was happening. And he says, This is a good cry. (laughs) Continue on with your practice. But then he said, no, come back. (laughs) And he says, don't forget to take the lap of the Buddha as your refuge, meaning continue on with your practice, but really help yourself with whatever is a refuge. And no doubt that in the hall there was a very big Buddha. And I did take refuge in the Buddha. And no doubt that the Buddha behind me definitely at times may be a great source of refuge. This reference point of he did it. He did it all the way. May it be a source of inspiration, especially when we are in those moments where there's unsettledness, to say the least. Facing fear is a lifelong process that requires, I think, a lot of courage. And it results really in our capacity to stay in touch. And sometimes we don't have that capacity. And it's okay. I think it's really important that we know that, at times, the boundary is going to be to be staying on the side of the known, the familiar, and to not push. And it's important to remember that. We're cultivating the capacity to love the difficult, but we're also cultivating the capacity to be wise, And to have an aptitude of staying very close to what is possible. In the same way that we don't force a flower to open. We take care. So that metta-like attitude, that caring, is exactly what is needed at times. To stay with the familiar and care. Care so much about our inability to meet, to meet the pain. This is already where we can be touched. Patience is then vital. And this is part of the process. It's just an organic, natural unfolding that the dharma has to offer. And this we learn with time. And so wonderful to be able to be in this space, to have all the moments to really sense the shifts and the appropriate response. When we learn in being intimate with fear, it really manifests as an empty form in the field of awareness, like an echo. It said sometimes a rainbow in the sky or a bubble in a stream. Just a rising phenomena that has no solidity and is too manifesting due to causes and conditions and dissolves. There's the greatest sense of freedom that manifests in those moments when the possibility of experiencing the fear and the freedom from fear, the fearlessness... don't take it personally, but allowing it to be, knowing it for what it is, and a liberating manifestation in its presence. There's also definitely other qualities that manifest calm, joy, peace. So we can sense all these qualities, emotional states manifest at different times. And fear is just one of them. May we and all beings learn from fear. And may we and all beings be safe and Secure, free from fear and free from harm. I'd like to close with part of a a poem from Jennifer Wellwood that is called Unconditional Willing to Experience Aloneness, I discover connection everywhere. Turning to face my fear, I meet the warrior who lives within. Opening to my loss, I gain the embrace of the universe. Surrendering into emptiness, I find fullness without end. Each condition I flee from pursues me. Each condition I welcome transforms me and becomes itself transformed into its radiant, jewel-like essence. So let's sit for one or two seconds.